Our Old Testament scripture lesson is found on page 1145 of your uh, pew Bible. We're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, the first six verses. Who has believed our message and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Now hear the word of the Lord to us. 
On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would die, not die, before he had seen the Lord Christ, Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, uh, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause uh, the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken uh, against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Joseph and Mary, when they had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Wow. Can you imagine taking your child to church to be circumcised and two strangers grabbing the child and praising in front of all of the thousands of people that were there who this child was? Well, it's important. We, we need to remember this incident and I'll come back to it in a minute. So I don't know what it was like at Christmas Day at your house, but at my house, the early morning was wild. The rest of the day was fine. My grandson, Logan, uh, came to his parents' bedroom. Uh, it was yeah, somewhere close to 6.30, and he was ready for all of us to get up and open presents. Uh, his parents told him that uh, he would had to give them a little more time and not to come back into the room until he was, it was 7.00. So he stood in the doorway of his bedroom, across from his parents' bedroom, and bounced up and down for 30 minutes. 
just before seven. He ran into uh, his sister's room and woke her up. And she immediately got up and went in and crawled in bed with her parents. And then sleep was over. So they told Logan, uh, go ahead, uh, go wake Papa up. So one minute after seven, he bounds into my bedroom saying, wake up, Papa, it's Christmas. And I opened my eyes with a start, a little shock. And I said, okay, let's go. Now, by the time I got to the front room about four minutes later, presents had already been stacked up in piles and we had to sit by each pile. And as we started to unwrap them, I watched as mounds of wrapping paper were opened and began piling up. Not to mention the plastic and the boxes and the packaging and all of that. It just kept growing. We kept trying to get it into bags, trash bags, but there was no hope. It was filling up our uh, room. This year I got some very interesting gifts. I'm going to share some of them with you. I didn't get a lot of gifts, but that's okay. Uh, First gift I got was from my uh, granddaughter. I don't know if you know what these things are. They're magnetic, and they hang around, and they have no real purpose. But I think my granddaughter got them for me just to keep my brain active and try to figure out what I'm supposed to do with them. So that was fun. And then... She got me a back scratcher, because I'm always rubbing up against doors. It's in the shape of a a rake. It works really well, though, I want to tell you. It gets the whole back at one time. You don't have to mess my little, little, tiny... uh, It's good. Uh, I I appreciated it. Uh, But now you get the, the flow of how the kinds of presents I get. Well... My grandson, we, we get these strange Christmas catalogs. My wife loved them. She got every one that there could possibly be. I mean, all kinds of things. And my grandson was looking at one of them, and he saw this, and he thought, oh, I want to get that for Grandpa. It'll be really good for him. Because he was worried about me from my surgeries and all of the stomach issues and problems that I had. So he got me this little tin. It's underwear, and all you have to do is add water. (laughs) My son told my grandson, Logan, that's just a joke. Well, then he really thought that was funny, and then I definitely got it. So... In case any of you need something, I'll have this with me, and we'll take, well, I I haven't opened it yet. I keep, well, I'm worried about that. (laughs) And then the family got me a gift, uh, as you probably would guess very easily, uh, a Nerf gun uh, that shoots 12 darts, and um, I can't wait to use it on Michael over there. Because he always has Nerf guns in his office to shoot me. So uh, I have something now that I think I can really handle. So, uh, and in our family, once you get Nerf guns like that, uh, well, wars happen. 
and Nerf darts are flying. My daughter-in-law even has Nerf guns so that she can uh, participate in all of this craziness. So, yes, we are going to... We have cousins from Ohio that have come, and we can't wait one day when they show up for dinner. We're just going to take them all out, (laughs) shoot them all. My grandson has a bag of 200 Nerf darts, so we ought to be able to take care of it uh, pretty well. So what do you do with the stuff and the packaging at your house? Well, I filled up one of those rolling trash cans our disposal company gave us. I wonder what the aftermath of your Christmas was. Mounds of wrapping paper, shattered relationships maybe, memories of painful arguments, Maybe it was memories of wonderful conversations and laughter. I've talked to some of you here, and golly, some of you actually had those conversations, uh, and that's wonderful. For me, the biggest thing that happened for me on Christmas Day was a nap. Uh, uh, Every house has a different mix of what really happens there. Maybe you got tired and needed a nap like I did, or you needed a break from all of the people that were at your house. Or maybe you began calling family that lived far away and had wonderful conversations. Maybe you built Legos, we did at our house, or crashed drones in the front of your house. By breakfast time, I was really tired and I went into my bedroom, took some time to ponder Christmas, both what just happened and what happened 2,000 years ago. Did any of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Did any of you here spend a lot of money and energy trying to make Christmas perfect? There's a couple of heads that nodded just a little bit. It was hard to do, wasn't it? When you look at all the details of Jesus' birth, many of the circumstances were far from perfect. Caesar Augustus thought he was imposing uh, taxes on his, for his own interest. But God really was using him to make sure that the young mother-to-be was in Bethlehem when it was time for Mary to deliver the Son of God. Caesar Augustus, that's not the Roman emperor's real name, Julius Caesar died 44 B.C. from stab wounds. Mark Antony was Caesar's chosen successor. But he was shocked when the uh, royal will was uh, opened and read. Uh, Julius Caesar gave his fortune to his grandnephews. One of them, Gaius Octavius, was just 19 years old. And he was named Julius Caesar's son and heir. And then he took on the Caesar name and for all time a title, Caesar. The Senate voted him the name Augustus which means the exalted. Historians said of him that he found Rome that was full of brick, and when he left, he left it full of marble. His incredible wealth came from taxes based on census. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we read, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken for the entire Roman world. Why a census? It was to make sure that everyone was counted and then had to pay their taxes. 
Caesar needed money to support not only his lavish lifestyle, but his rebuilding of the Roman glory. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee in Judea to the town of Bethlehem, the town of David. Will you right now try to picture the ordinariness instead of show business glitz you think the birth of our Lord had? There was no mystic radiance. There was no hallelujah chorus. How did Joseph and Mary get to Bethlehem? Did Mary ride a donkey? The Bible doesn't say. Was Jesus born in a stable or a cave or a barn? The Bible doesn't say. We do know that Jesus was delivered in a manger. That's a feeding trough. Were there animals at Jesus' birth? The Bible doesn't say. Were there three kings? No, they didn't arrive until Jesus was older, sometime when he was around two. And they were astrologers, not kings. Did the angels sing when Jesus was born? Yes, they sang, my sweet Lord. No, 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 no. Wrong generation. No, we only know that they praised God. You may say, but Randy, uh, why are you doing this, telling us all this? Because if we clothe the original events with lavish garment, we will suppose that supernatural things happen only to very special people. God clothes himself in the ordinary. He excels with ordinary people and does absolutely extraordinary things through them. That means he could do things even through us. That's really good news for us. Shake off the dreamy-eyed idea about the birth of our Lord. Years after the event, a disciple that wanted to be a disciple said, Nazareth, what good can come from there? The story of the birth of our Lord doesn't require elegance. So I want to set the record straight. The Son of God, the Messiah, was born in a barn or a cave to a poor family. Baby Jesus and his parents became political refugees, escaping tyrannical king. They went to a neighboring country to escape execution. Bethlehem was just a sleepy backwater town, no real place for the king of kings to be born. God's greatest gift came to the world through a plain, ordinary people and places. The extraordinary came to us, and we celebrate, even today, the good news. One has come to us from God, his unique son, to announce that the Heavenly Father invites us to experience him. We're loved. We're wanted. We're not alone on this earth. He cares for us. He loves us. He's watching over us. And he chooses us to fulfill his mission in our world. That the chains of life, our destructive habits and sins can be broken and we can be set free from them. That forgiveness is offered to us even for the worst of our own sins. 
That strength and hope is offered to the weakest of us. That purpose and meaning is given to the lowest of us. God wants us to know through a relationship with his son that he can fulfill our longings, secure our future, give us confidence in our direction, stimulate within us goodly self-image, point us to a brighter future, help us to pass through life's fire ordeals, and even save us from the prison that we place ourselves in. And he can take us safely through life's storms and bring us victory face to face with him. This truly is the good news of Christmas. And it's what the rest of the Gospel of John that we'll pick up next week tells us. That Jesus is above all these things that can happen to us. And he loves us. On the first day of the Egyptian month, Missouri uh, Cirrus, the dog star rose at sunrise and shone with extraordinary brilliance. Missouri means the birth of a prince. To the ancient astrologers, such a star would mean the birth of some great king was about to happen or is happening. We don't know what the star the Magi saw, but it was their profession to watch the heavens. You see, at the time of Jesus, there was a feeling and a, a, almost a, a, like a rumor in the world of expectation in the coming of a great king. The Romans were looking for it. There had spread all over the Orient an old established belief that a man was coming from Judea to rule the world. See, remember when God pushed out all of the uh, Jews out of uh, Palestine uh, and put them into persecution and all kinds of things. They took their Bible with them and they let the world know that a king was coming. God's intention was for salvation. Salvation means wholeness and completeness and fullness and a life full of life to be restored from our broken relationship with God. In the book of John, we have a summary of the good news. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Later in the book of John, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, it's God's intention to bless, to forgive, to comfort, to heal, to restore, and to save us. There's so many signs that we've read uh, during the Christmas story about the coming of the Messiah. The angel came to both Mary and Joseph, telling them the name of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. The angels came before the shepherds. Then the shepherds, seeing this, go to see the baby Jesus. Once they see him, they go out through Bethlehem and tell everyone that they meet what the angels had told them. And then magi come to worship the newborn king. Then in our scripture today, they go and see Simon in the temple eight days after Jesus' birth. 
and then Anna the prophetess, speaking about who Jesus was. Now, let me just say, why are these two crazy stories just sort of tucked in here? In the law of the Jews, two witnesses, as they share who somebody was or what somebody did, was enough for the law to accept it as truth. And so Simeon and Anna are the witnesses to the truth of who Jesus is. Well, then there was the angel that came to Joseph and told him to leave and get to to Egypt. See, all of these signs are telling us who Jesus is. I wonder, though, how Mary and Joseph really felt about all of this. It had been a relatively quiet, two quiet years. They were still in Bethlehem. And then the crazy magi show up. And then there was the escape into Egypt. You know, I really like Joseph. He had a dream and acted right away on it. There was no pondering. His family was threatened, and away he took them. Joseph was obedient to God's message. He packed them up that night and headed for Egypt. Mary and Joseph gave the baby the name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus has an important meaning. If you look it up in the first century baby book, you would find that it means God saves. That's certainly appropriate for the Savior of the world, but there's even more. Most of us would have named the baby Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity the Third, or something like that. But everybody would have been intimidated by that name. Instead, God named him Jesus, which was quite a common name in those days. In fact, it was like naming him Joe. It was the very ordinariness of the name that suggests his approachability. Nobody ever was reluctant to approach Jesus for fear of being rejected. And secondly, there was another name for Jesus that was predicted 700 years before he was born, uh, and which was repeated by the angel who said to Joseph in Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, at this point, I want to make... Uh, uh, an understanding that Jesus' middle name is not Emmanuel, just in case you were wondering. It's a descriptive name given to him because he really was God with us. So the ordinariness of his name suggests his approachability, while the name Emmanuel suggests his proximity to us. A great miracle, uh, uh, as Christmas was, and it really was a great miracle, the greatest example of downward mobility in the history of the world, Jesus leaving the majesty of heaven for a dirty stable. As great as that miracle was, there's also a continuing miracle of Christmas. That's what I want for us to understand, to carry on this love and grace that we have experienced during this Advent season. 
It's what Jesus is, is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. 2020, it's going to be an amazing year. Why? You're going to get a new pastor. Some of you are thinking, thank Jesus, let's get this old guy out of there. I, I know, I get it, I, 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 but I'm, I'm, you're stuck with me until your new pastor comes. But it's also a year that we will be able to have God with us and to be aware of that. So let me ask you, if Jesus Christ were to walk into this room right now, and you were to turn real quickly and look at him right in the face, what would be the first thing you'd say to him? Now, I've really thought about this, and, and what would I say? I'd tell him, first of all, I love him. Tell him how grateful I am that he died for my sins. And then I'd ask him, what he wants me to do with my wife, my wife, my life. Because I know he uh, has more for me to do. So what's the first thing you'd say to him? What's the first thing you'd ask him? Well, Jesus really is here. So whatever you want to tell him, tell him it right now. See, Jesus is listening. Of course he's here. He's present. He's aware. He's listening and watching us. His spirit is with us here and with us at home and at work. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So there are implications for him him being here with us. The first implication for us is this. Every time that we stumble, God knows it. And that's sobering. Secondly, every time we struggle, God feels it. Now that, I think, is encouraging. And every time we sacrifice for him, God honors it. And that, I believe, motivates us greatly. So every time we stumble, ethically or morally, God knows it. You can't hide it from him, so don't even try. I wonder how often do you fool yourself into thinking that you're getting away with something in your life. Isn't that what we do? We tell a lie. We say to ourselves, hey, nobody will ever know the difference. But ultimately, we don't get away with anything. Every time we stumble, God knows it. The second second implication of God with us is every time we struggle, God feels it. And I think that's encouraging. Jesus isn't just God with us in that he has proximity to us, but he also is with us in the sense of actually having become one of us on Christmas Day. So he's God with us in the sense of being knit together with us by the common experience of walking the earth and living life. And because of living among us, he could understand us and relate to us and emphasize with us and communicate with us in a way we can understand. He's saying to us, hey, you don't know what you're missing. My kingdom is available to you for you to enter in. And it's better than anything you've ever experienced. It's my gift to you. That's what Christmas really is all about. 
And the aftermath of Christmas is this, because Jesus walked the earth, we can feel confident even today that he will have a special sensitivity and empathy with us when we bring him our struggles and our wounds and our pain. Friends, every time you struggle, God feels it. And that really should encourage you. And finally, the third implication of the uh, continuing miracle of God with us is this. Every time we sacrifice for him, God honors it. And that's motivating. In other words, whenever it costs you something to follow Jesus, he already knows about it. And he'll pay you back somehow. Every time you jeopardize your reputation for or your career by standing up for your faith. Every time you swallow your pride and forgive an enemy instead of plotting retribution. Every time you're in a hurry, but you pause to commit an act of kindness. Every time you'd rather relax on Saturday, but instead you get elbow deep in the life of a hurting person. Every time you're tired, but you make time to serve others in the name of Jesus. God honors that. Every time you make up those kinds of sacrifices and you think that nobody else notices, God notices and God cares. And God rewards you not only with a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment today, but he promises rewards in eternity as well. Friends, I wonder what gift you'll give your Lord this new year. Did you know he's expecting a New Year's gift from you? Could it be the gift of time? How many hours a week will you spend outside of this one hour each week for Jesus? Some have said that Christians should give seven hours a week a tithe of their time. Wow. What would happen to this church if we would all do that? One or two hours a week uh, talking to others about Jesus in your church? One or two hours a week reaching out to your neighbors and to strangers with acts of love and compassion. Then the rest of the time, helping out around the church. What God could do with that. Then maybe committing yourself to a small group that studies God's word or a a Bible study or taking time each day to read God's word and pray. Do you think God will honor just one hour a week from you? Don't be that foolish. Every person that calls themselves a Christian should be spending time in discipleship. It's not enough just to act like Christ. We are called to be his disciple. As you take a moment to decide how much time you're willing to give to Jesus Christ a week, Emmanuel, God with us, you're helping God And LCPC, we both need you and your gifts and your talents and your time. Well, what will you do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words to us. Give us wisdom as to what we are to do. Help us to make this church ready for our new pastor to come. Help us to 
put into place the things that you want, not just the things that we want. Help us to reach out to neighbors and to friends and to strangers and love on them. Do acts of kindness to them that they may know of your love and your grace. Come Holy Spirit and fill this church and as we get ready to enter into a new year, we ask you to lead us in a dynamic way. In your name we pray. Amen.